Well, for those of you who think that maybe, uh, why the Magi? That was, wasn't Christmas last week? <clears throat> well, the Magi didn't show up last week. <laughs> they show up after Christmas, so I thought I'd do this one. It's one of those that uh, there's a little bit of confusion, and I know there's a lot of um, traditions, especially in some of the, of the one that the church, the songs that we sing around Christmas time. Uh, one comes to mind, especially where there's a lot of misconceptions. We three kings of Orient are. Okay. You'll, we're going to find out as we go through that we three kings of Orient aren't. <laughs> but these men were real. I mean, don't. <laughs> but we'll just we'll straighten out a little bit, not to be picky uni, but what we do want to do, though, is get the real message of the Magi, the, the importance of their appearing, and it's extremely important. So. Matthew 2, 1 through 12, <clears throat> and for the sake of, of time, I'm just going to read sections of it. I'm going to start off, oh, let me just start. Visit the Magi. Now, 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been king of the, been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he gathered together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, and by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler." who will shepherd my people Israel. And we'll stop right there for now. Okay. The Magi from the East. Okay, who were these folks? All right. And I'm just going to whip through this pretty quickly in the first part. You know, there's three three pages. And uh, how often have we never gotten through one page? But a lot of this I just wanted you to take with you because you, I think we've all at times have probably heard all this anyway. And so... You know, the word magi, magos, the Greek, it refers to magician, sorcerer, wise men, referring to those who basically practice the magic arts, astrology, interpretation of dreams, and various other occult activities. Okay? <clears throat> One thing I'll guarantee is they didn't get their knowledge from occult practices. All right? <laughs> but that's what they were. That's the group. Now, they first appeared in history in the Median Empire around the 7th century B.C. And these folks, in their functions, and again, it's kind of like a lot of things. There's a big group of these things, and some of them specialized in astrology and astronomy. And then others were interpreters of dreams. Others did this. Other, and they just formed a big group, okay? Um, <clears throat> And they were also, though, influ influential in political and governmental affairs. And that's what I think is one of the big important factors in this passage today. We'll, we'll see that hopefully shortly. Now, the Magi were also in the Babylonian Empire and were part of the, quote, wise men. We see them in Daniel. All right, let's look at Daniel real quick. You know, the, we've been in Daniel so much in our prophecy study. And then other than now where he's here, you know, I'm beginning to think Daniel's kind of an important book. But anyway, Daniel, Daniel 1.20 says, um, 
As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Well, who are they talking about? Remember Daniel and his three friends? Uh, They were part of the group that were brought over as hostages, and they were put through school, and those that did well would serve the king in the court. If you didn't make the cut, you're out in the field somewhere, all right? So they made the cut, and because they prayed and stayed faithful, God caused them to exceed very well. The king noticed that, and he found them ten times better than all the existing magicians and conjurers that existed. So the point I'm making here, Daniel was put in that group. He didn't believe any of their nonsense, but he was put in that group. Okay, And then we can keep reading and find out, but let's move on now. Also, by the time we get to the Medo-Persian Empire, we can see in Esther, I do like, would like to turn there, Esther chapter 1. <clears throat> She's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Last of the history books. <laughs> Esther 1.13. <clears throat> then the king said to the wise men, okay, who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king to speak before all who knew law and justice. Okay, So there's the connection of them where they, were, they did magician-type stuff, fortune-telling, the, the usual junk that comes with that, you know. But they were also into the law and so forth. So let's just file that away. And we've already talked about Daniel being grouped with that. Now, in the Roman, and I'm back to our outline, in the Roman era, Magi were men of high influence in the Parthenian Persian Empire to the east of Palestine, out to the east. And this is where these folks, how many of them there were, that's where they came from. They came from that empire. Now, the, uh, those magi of that time, some were described them as kingmakers. Okay? They, were, they, were they were influential still to that day. They were kingmakers, but they themselves were not kings. Okay? Very influential, but they weren't themselves. They weren't kings. They came looking for kings. They influenced kings, helped appoint kings, had a lot of power that way, but they themselves were not king. Now, and then, too, we see in verse 1, their arrival was, again, back in Matthew, their arrival was after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem. Oops. Not Bethlehem. They did not come from the east into Bethlehem. They came from the east into Jerusalem. Okay? And that's where we picked them up. Continuing on, and why did they come? Primarily, I, I, the Magi came to worship. They came to worship. They came to worship. They arrived in Jerusalem saying, again, verse 1b and 2, saying, uh, where is he... Interesting, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Lot of heavy stuff here we don't want to miss. Lot of very important stuff. Born king of the Jews. 
not appointed like Herod was. Well, this becomes very important in a few minutes. He was born king of the Jews, not appointed. Now, and we saw his star, okay, what his star in the east. Now, what star? Well, star, aster, it means a, it means a star, a luminous body up in the heavens, okay? And there's a lot of, so many theories, it's funny about this, you know. Um, that word does not mean comet or supernova. <laughs> People say, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And they check charts to go back into China. and all this. It's amazing what people, what does the scripture say? There was a star, a luminous body, and they followed it. Okay, they saw it, and, and we're, we're going to see this. And this is what's even more important. It wasn't just a star, it was his star. His star. Don't, that, that word, his. <laughs> yeah, the pronouns. His star. <laughs> Very, very important. His star. I believe there that points to the supernatural character of this star. I'm, I'm personally confident that this star was specially created by God for the purpose of bringing the Magi in. A creator that can speak the world into existence. I have no problem believing this, okay? <laughs> no problem. No, no, I think that's very much, could be. Matter of fact, my, my, you've been reading ahead. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> very possible, very much so. I, I, I'd lean that way because most likely it says his star was the glory of God in the form of a star that guided these men. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. Because this, this was a big event. The birth of Christ was a major event in Scripture. I mean, it's, it's a lot more than what we see in our society, believe me. <laughs> you know. But 2, 8, and 9, Luke say, again, remember the shepherds in the same region? There were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Can you imagine these, these guys? Now remember, these are, these are poor old shepherds. These are bottom of the rung in, in social status. These were people that were pretty much uneducated. They were just out there. They were laboring, worked with their hands, moving sheep around. Not a fun job if you ever did anything like that. And, they, <clears throat> and they're out there. And then I think of Zacharias, remember in the temple where he's sitting, all of a sudden, this Gabriel's standing there. Well, these guys are out in the and, and And he was a more sophisticated guy, and it blew him away. But now imagine these shepherds, and all of a sudden this angel's standing there. But not only that, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood like there, and all of a sudden, boom, this guy appears, and he's standing there. But he's, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Well, I hope to shout they were. Can you imagine that? They're out there at night. It's dark. This man just appears, and the glory of God shone around not only him, but them. It just, it just brightened up the whole place. That's the Shekinah glory of God, too. That's the glory of God around this angel. These are God's messengers. You know, it might, who knows? It might have been Gabriel again. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But he can, that can happen to any of God's angels. He was there, and the, the glory, boom. And so, yeah, I think that star was the glory of God because they came to worship him. See, they came to worship him. You don't worship some guy, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so they came to worship, and the worship means, back to our notes, 
It just means to prostrate oneself before another, just like flat on your face on the ground. Okay? And this is an expression of complete dependence on or submission to a higher authority. People have gone prostrate before kings, you know, especially the mean ones, <laughs> you know. Oh, it's like when you read through Daniel. One of the things they said when the king came in, oh, king, live forever. You know, that was the greeting. And by, they were saying, oh, king, live forever. And the Bible said, and I hope me too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or at least as long as you do. So, yeah, because that was a, a common greeting. Like I said, we read that a lot throughout so, so the, the Old Testament when they're reading about kings, especially in Daniel, it's there a lot. Now, this same word for worship, I'd like to look at, we were in Matthew, look at Matthew 4, 9, and 10. And he said, now this is, um, this is the temptation, right? And here's Satan, and he said to him, that's Jesus, all these things I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. And basically, Lord says, not a chance. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Uh, just a point of reference here while we're here. I'm not gonna, I am not going can't stay here too long. But uh, where it says, be gone, state, Satan. If you, in my translation, it has an exclamation point behind be gone, Satan. That's right. That was a command. He wasn't saying, I, I'd be nice if you left now. No, he's saying, get out of here. <laughs> he was running them off. He had that authority. He had that authority. That shows you the crassness of Satan, though, doesn't it? And then Matthew 14, 13, won't do it. 14, 33, and remember, Jesus walks on the water, remember this one? And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. That's a big statement. That's not a small statement. You are certainly God's son. Because what do we know about that term? Remember the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other bunch? Um, when he claimed God as his father, what did they want to do? They wanted to put him to death because by claiming God as your father, you are making yourself equal with God. So that's, that's, a, big, that's a big statement, a very important statement when you read these. And every time you read the term son of God, spoken by anybody that's an, that's a statement of deity son of man too because son of man in the context especially in matthew especially uh talks about it um when you think son of man remember think daniel 7 one like the son of man before the ancient of days sent down to establish the bring about the kingdom yeah so that's again all those terms are extremely important kind of hang on to those and then 28.9, and this, is a, this one's good to kind of show the, wrap this word up. But 28.9 says, remember, this is, this is resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and they shall see me there. Look, that was 10. That's, that's a nice verse, but that's not the one I want. <laughs> verse 9. <laughs> you know, you know, close, but no cigar, right? Okay. And behold, Jesus met the ladies. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That's, you're on the ground, taking hold of feet. <laughs> okay. Didn't grab his hand. <laughs> they were on the ground. Oh. 
you know, they were take hold of a seat. They were on the ground. I mean, just in a in a in a position of worship. So they were they prostrated themselves. Okay, all right. Now, the news of the Magi reaches Herod. Now, when these guys came into town. They remember they didn't go, and I think I'll check in with Herod and see what's going on. Even though he was the king, right? Or at least so called. A few statements before we move on. But <clears throat> I'm going to read Matthew 2, 3 day. I'm going to read it first. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests. Anyway, he asked them, where is this? What is this? And they quote Micah 5, 2. The prophecy about Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Okay. And uh, let's, just, let's just keep going in our notes. Now, King Herod, we need this, this is some good background information for what's going on here. Uh, some of this we talked about the last time we got together. With, uh, we talked about Herod with uh, Zacharias. But now Herod was appointed king by the Roman Senate at the request of Caesar Augustus. Okay? Now, Herod, he was an Indumean, an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, and not the royal line of David. Okay? Two big important points. Appointed, he's not of, even of the royal line. Okay, so, and, of course, by his personality, he was a paranoid who murdered anyone he felt threatened his kingship. Remember, we talked about him earlier. He murdered his wife, several of his sons, and, and anybody, really, that he felt was in way. Augustus, that's Caesar Augustus. It's, this is a quote from him. A, a remark from Caesar says, it is safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. That's a pretty strong statement. Caesar Augustus knew this guy, knew about this guy. And now, I just called this section here the Romans, the Parthenians, and Herod. Okay, how do they all work together? Well, in 40 BC, thereabouts, the Parthenians invaded Palestine and captured Jerusalem. Antipater Herod's father was killed, and Herod fled to Rome. Okay? Now, in 39 BC, Herod returned to Judea with an army and obtained the surrender of the Parthians in around 37 BC. And in 30 BC, uh, Augustus became sole rule, ruler of Rome and deeded the ancient Mediterranean anchorage of Strato's Tower to Herod for, for his loyalty. Okay? Um, and then Herod built a city there and named it Caesarea. So the Caesarea that we know of in the biblical times, Caesarea on the coast, that, is, uh, that used to be Strato's Tower, and uh, Herod renamed it and built a, built a town there. Caesarea Maritime? Who? Caesarea Maritime is what they call it. Oh, okay. That's it. Because <laughs> yeah. they're right on the ocean, on the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. No, see, Herod was a very shrewd operator, very smart politician. He, he knew how to play the game, and he got on, and he, but he was capable. He was humanly, he was very capable. He, he could get stuff done. He was no fool. I mean, he wasn't called Herod the Great for nothing, okay? Uh, if you don't believe me, ask him, you know? <laughs> no, he, yeah, he had... He had no problems. He, had, he, had, he did not have to go to the self-esteem counseling. He, was, he felt okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but that was Herod. And when it says 
Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. You see why they could be? I mean, Herod was, that troubled means agitated or stirred up. And not was just Herod, but it was the whole, I mean, the whole population, the all of Jerusalem. I mean, that's a figure of speech saying a whole lot of people in Jerusalem were upset about this too. Why? Because of the history. I mean, just put yourself in their mindset, okay? You know, 37 AD, they finally finished the battle. Well, that's like somewhere around 30 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. We're talking recent history. I mean, just think about things like how much time was there between World War One, World War Two, this war, that war. You know how things just kind of happen again. So could it be that Herod and the people of Judah were concerned that this Parthenian per- Persian Empire maybe was up to something? Were these people that came in looking for a king, were they like an advanced group scoping the place out, doing a recon mission, so to speak? Well, we don't know. They were all stirred up about them being there. Now, we know Herod, it was a double shot for him, number one, because they made it plain. Back in verse 2, when they arrived in June, they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they were, they were already calling the Christ child king of the Jews. And here's Herod in his castle, appointed, not of the royal line. And then these guys are from... These are kingmakers from a, land, from a people that he had to fight 30-something years ago. You see what I mean? He was uneasy. This doesn't... Uh, he was all a Twitter, as they say. <laughs> he was, no. I mean, especially a guy that paranoid. This is really going to st- stir the juices in him. You know, he's really going to be fired up about this. And so, and then this is the part that's very, again, very telling. Very telling. Herod calls in the chief priests, verses 4 and six, four through 6, and he gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Christ, the Greek term, Hebrew term, Messiah, the anointed one, the anointed one, yeah, the one anointed to be king. See, he knew who he was, and we know the story of Herod. We knew who he wanted to kill. He wanted to kill one that he was knowing as Messiah. How's that differ from Satan? But then, but then, or as we've been studying or have studied the Antichrist, here's a good little bear. They, they, they know who they're attacking. I mean, remember, and, and we've also too in, in Revelation, we, they go hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. I mean, they know who they're not submitting to and should be I mean nothing's changed and nothing will change when we get to that when history winds up in the tribulation period it just there's you know like Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun it just keeps going the names change but the situations are the same the unbelief still causes the same stupid reactions but you know praise God for his grace or we would be having those same stupid reactions and the grace of God is the only thing that separates us. Again, Micah 5, I was reading through Micah 5.2, and that would be a wonderful lesson all by itself, because you read those passages before and after Micah 2, you get that big context there. Superb passage, superb. Of course, which one isn't, you know? And now, and in verses 7 and 8, Herod, uh, Herod, Herod's plan to use the Magi, okay? 
Then Herod secretly, secretly called the Magi and, and ascertained from them the time of the star appeared. That's, well, I can stop right there. We're not given an answer. <laughs> He's like, when, when, did you, you know, when, when did you foresee this star? And he sent them, and he, we got no answer, okay. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we, we, know that, we know how that one is. No, that was definitely not his, what are you going here? Yeah, yeah, a whole different concept. Yeah. Of course, you know, the thing of it is, do you ever notice one thing, how real evil people will also lie? <laughs> you, know, you notice that? They'll also lie. That, that, that's what's going on. Um, <clears throat> and, yeah, he, he might have been paranoid, but he wasn't stupid. So he, know, <laughs> you know, you know, he knew what he wanted. He says, okay, and quite frankly, you know, we don't know for a fact, obviously, because they did leave town, but he might have knocked them off too. You never know. You never know. And uh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, verse 9. Here we have the star reappeared. Okay, the star reappeared. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. He will stop there for a moment. Evidently, when they were in the east, the star appeared. And they saw enough of it, or they were given information. We'll get to that later also. And suffice it to say, that star appearing to them in the east was enough that got them to at least to Jerusalem. Okay? It got them to Jerusalem. Whatever they knew and how they knew it, whether it was something left behind by Daniel, a lot of people think that could be, and that's a possibility. I I have a... That's okay, but I have a different thought. Anyway, we'll get to that later. So they're there. Again, the star stood over where the child was. And again, look at verse 10. I love this. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Look at that. That's a double exclamation there. You see that? They rejoiced exceedingly. With great joy. <laughs> it's like, I just, I can't tell you how happy we are. I mean, this, this is this tremendous joy. It's more than just happy. It was that deep joy, a deep joy. Like they were, the, the, the king that they were looking for, they found. And again, I am thoroughly confident they knew, they knew about who this child was. We will. We will. How many of them there are? <laughs> okay. And again, child, I want, to, I want to get this straightened out because I've actually, in, in a couple of commentaries that would kind of surprise me, they're saying, oh, the child, he was probably 18 to 2 years old because this word is not used of infants. And I go, yeah, it is. <laughs> I know, yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Okay, the world, child, is padion, refers to, let's, let's, go, let's see it so you... I ask no one to believe me, but anyway, <clears throat> we can get the answer in Luke. Well, it's referring to a newborn infant in Luke 2.17, where it says, And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about 
this child. Oh, that's we're back in the shepherd story. So this is this child on the day Jesus was birth, born. And that was Pedion. Same word. Exact same word. So it's used of a, a brand new day old infant. And then you move forward in chapter 2 to verse 27. And we find ourselves in the temple where Jesus was going to be circumcised on the eighth day. So here that same word is used for an eight day old baby. Okay? And then we. Let's look at Mark chapter, because we're going back to Matthew. Mark 5.39, a story we've already seen a little bit of. Mark 5.39 to 42, where the same word is used. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, I love that. He took, he took the child's father and mother and his own companies and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. So there you go. What we have here, this word is the generic term for a child, and I think it can run from infant to probably like, prepubescence or something, you know, to like, like preteen or something. So, you know, because what was it? They had their bar mitzvahs at 12 or something like that. So, so she was 12, so she's right on the edge. <laughs> but she wouldn't have bar mitzvah anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> okay, verse, yeah, verse 11. We're actually going to make it, I think. And it says here, the, the Magi... That star, which was obviously, to at least some degree, was obviously moving to the point where, you know, I don't know how it worked. Because, again, uh, when they went to Jerusalem, now remember, Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, we're talking five to six miles. So it wasn't like a 10-day journey or anything. You know, they just went on down there, and en route somewhere, oh, there's the star. And then it just kind of, it was funny. It's bright enough, they, big enough, they saw it, but yet small enough he could pinpoint a location, a small little location. It's just and there's no mention that anybody else saw it. I know. I, it just, it might have been their own private yeah. blessing. Oh. You know, I, I don't know how that, but we weren't there. It, we, we, all we got is what we can read. We, it's where we go <clears throat> where things, misconceptions take place when we start, well, maybe it was like this, and maybe it was like that, and the next thing, you know, you've got a Christmas card with him standing at the manger. No, <laughs> he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So, like I said last time, you, you, if you've got him in your manger, take them out, move them to the east side of the house. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can empty that manger today. They're they're gone. They were only there one night. They are in a house now. So, and one thing we do know: this is at least after I would surmise the eighth day. Okay. Because when you continue the story, which we aren't going to get into today, <clears throat> we know that the, this, they're, going to, they're going to cross Herod, and Herod immediately starts having babies killed. So we know. And uh, anyway, let's keep moving. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Now, so they came into the house, verse 11, and I put a little thing, not the stable. <clears throat> they came into the house. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Again, Prostrated himself down, right on the ground. They fell down and worshipped him. <clears throat> right down on the face, down on the floor. 
And opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts, to him gifts, of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the only thing we know about this for sure is that there was three gifts. This does not give us the number of magi. Could have been three. Each brought one. Could have been. There could have been a dozen. There could have been two. We know it's a plural because this is they. <laughs> so we know that's a plural. Um, <clears throat> so, and the number of magi isn't important. What they gave him is kind of important. Gold, in all of history, considered the most precious of metals. A gift actually worthy of his royalty, wouldn't you say? Worthy a king. Frankincense, very costly incense used by those who could afford it. Example, Solomon's wedding procession. Song of Solomon 3, 6 to 7, you read that. And then it was also used in grain offerings to the Lord, Leviticus 2. You can see it there. Again, this gift perhaps pointing to his deity. Makes sense. When you know who we know, we looking back know who this child is. I think they, they did too, quite frankly. And then myrrh, another costly perfume used with other spices to prepare a body for burial. You can get an example of that in John 19. And perhaps referring to his humanity and possibly pointing to his burial. You know, see, nothing in Scripture is wasted. And I, I kind of lean that that's what this is. Whether anybody grasped it at that point in time, who knows? Because we know even the Old Testament prophets didn't fully understand what they were writing. So, but these things are written down for a purpose, and somebody is going to get great benefit from us. I think we are the benefactors of this, and like many of the old old because we're on this we're on the side of history where all of Revelation has been getting the canon is closed. We've got it all. I mean, there's no excuse for us to be in the dark. <laughs> Let's face it. Okay, and then the Magi, verse twelve, they go home. Verse twelve. And having been warned by God, and by God is in italics, meaning that was added, in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now, why? It would literally say, having been warned in a dream. That's sufficient. Let's look. We're in Matthew. Look at Matthew 1 20 to 23. Near. An angel speaking to Joseph in a dream said, But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying in a dream, saying, son, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take marry your wife, for that which has been conceived in her of the Holy Spirit. And he and he'll bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for, he, for, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And now all this took place that was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph learned all of that in a dream from an angel. And 2.13 says, Now when they had departed, now this is after, okay, and when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Go. Because the, the Magi take off, and they're being warned, Herod is going to act, and he's going to act quickly. Get out of town. And you know what? With gold, Francis and myrrh, they had very expensive items they could live off of for a while. That, that'd pay for the trip. They're, they're lodging down there. Their trip back. Okay? We're, that, we're not going there today, though. 
And I think this answers the question of how the Magi knew the identity of the child. The same way Joseph figured it out, the same way Gabriel figured, said, spoke it to uh, Mary, the same way Gabriel spoke what he spoke to Zacharias, God, get, yes, it was, it was by God, but it could have been, but I think they got the information. I think they were interpreters of dreams. Why couldn't they get one directly from God himself or an angel of God? To me, that makes the most sense because they knew they were very specific in who they were looking for. They were looking for the, 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 the newborn, the one that was born, and they knew that the baby was born. <laughs> no, yeah, the baby is alive right now. We want to go worship that baby. That's what they were. That's what they were asking for. And it reminds me, too, of a great one of those great one of my favorite Christmas hymns because of the words. Uh, "Hark the Herald" by Charles Wesley. It says, "Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate Deity. Please this man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel." That's Christmas. That's the story. That's the big message. God has come to earth so that we may have salvation. It's close. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for that. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for your grace. By grace we are saved, and because of that grace, Jesus came to this earth. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.